brethren. Brother Bob here again. Brethren, do you know what a biblical imperative is? In this podcast, I'm going to explain why it's important to understand what a biblical imperative is. In general, an imperative is a statement or sentence that clearly implies to the person the sentence was directed towards to do or not do something. When a mother yells at her son to take out the garbage, that's an imperative. The dad tells his son to go out and cut the grass, that's an imperative. When your boss tells you to be at work at 7 a.m. every day, that's an imperative. Speed limit sign is an imperative that's not plainly shown to be an imperative, but if you break it, you'll find out that you broke the law. In the Bible God world, a biblical imperative would be a commandment from the Lord, and those are normally directed towards his people. Now, when most people talk about God's imperatives, i.e. commandments, Normally, the first thing that pops into a person's mind are the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are most definitely imperatives from the Lord, but they are just a small percentage of God's commandments for his people. There are literally hundreds of imperatives from the Lord for his people in the Scriptures. Some are for today's church age. Many are not. Here are some simple Bible imperatives for Christians. Stand guard. Stay alert. Be aware. Love your enemies. Here are some easy-to-understand imperatives for believers that have a little bit more information in them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Make the most of your time, believers, for the days are evil. I want Christian women to wear proper clothing, dressing modestly and discreetly. Those are all imperatives written in the church epistles. What God's people need to understand and accept is that no matter how insignificant an imperative might seem, it is still a commandment from the Lord. God's people need to understand the seriousness of choosing not to obey those imperatives that the Lord has given his church people. Brethren, contrary to what many of you are taught, God's imperatives do not change because of societal changes. And contrary to what many believers are taught, God's imperatives do not become insignificant simply because your church leaders tell you they're insignificant. They need to back that up with biblical doctrine to verify why They believe a certain imperative no longer applies for the church age. Now, I want to once again reiterate a very important thing about God's imperatives, and that is that not all imperatives in the Bible are for the church age. Believers must make sure that those imperatives, i.e. commandments from the Lord, that they are obeying or following are imperatives that the Lord expects believers in the church age to obey. I need to say that because there are a lot of believers picking and choosing those imperatives that they like, and ignoring those imperatives that they don't like. Just as there are a lot of believers who are choosing to teach unbiblical stuff, being an imperative from the Lord, even though their imperatives are not found in the Scriptures. Let me give you one example of what I mean. There are a lot of believers in the Church of the Living God who genuinely and sincerely and dedicatingly believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost is something that believers need to try to copy today. The believers who push or promote that, no matter how sincere they are, are absolutely wrong. There are no church imperatives, i.e. commandments, in Acts chapter 2. In fact, there are no church imperatives in the entire book of the Acts of the Apostles. The Day of Pentecost events were a one-time unique event that the Lord did in order to establish the apostles as his leaders and founders of this brand new thing that was about to be birthed that was called the church. Those believers who are clinging to the belief that what went on on the day of Pentecost should still be going on in churches today are people who lack biblical discernment. Now, I've already done a couple podcasts explaining why I believe that. 
Please listen to them. Now, there were over 600 Mosaic Law imperatives dealing with rules and regulations on how the Lord wanted his temple service to be run and and for how the, the good Lord wanted the Israelites to live their everyday lives. Now, except for the Ten Commandments, all those Old Testament Mosaic laws are no longer imperatives that the Lord expects his children to obey today in the church age. One of the Lord's most well-known imperatives started way back in the days of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, which is an imperative, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now again, a Bible imperative is a command or directed from the Lord. So here are two of the most important and famous imperatives known to mankind. Adam, you are free to eat from any other tree in the garden except for the one tree. You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? This guy Adam is living in a paradise environment. He gets to run around naked all day. There are no ticks, no mosquitoes, and for that matter, nothing around that can bite, harm, or even kill him. All brother Adam had to do, if he wanted to spend his life living in peace, pleasure, and pain-free, was to obey the imperative that the Lord gave him, which was not to eat the fruit of that one tree. One stinking tree, Adam. You just had to keep from eating the fruit of one stinking tree. Now, here's a side note. Now, to be fair to Adam, what the Lord decided to do to Adam after he had already put Adam in paradise kind of threw a monkey wrench into Adam's life of peace, pleasure, and painlessness. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, our scriptures do not tell us why the Lord decided to give Adam a helper. Did Adam ask for a helper? Was this woman helper forced on Adam? Even though Adam was living in a sinless paradise, was he so unhappy that the Lord decided that he needed intimate relationship on the physical level? Now, there is a possibility that Adam did not want the female helper that the Lord was sending him. However, being that I am a man who needs to be with a woman, if you know what I mean, I'm sure that the very moment that Adam saw that perfect and beautiful and sexy and naked Eve for the first time, he was all in with the idea of having a sexy helper. Wink, wink. There's always a possibility that the Lord believed that in order for Adam to be really tested, the good Lord would test him by seeing if he would choose a hot, sexy, naked female over him. Now, God does sometimes test his people. I mean, the good Lord really put Abraham to the test when he commanded him to offer up his only son. I have to admit, until my son turned into a punk teenager, that would have been a hard test for me to follow through on. Just kidding, I think. Anyways, back to Adam. Sadly, it didn't take long for Satan, i.e. the serpent, to expose the emotional weaknesses of Adam's helper by drawing her away from doing as the Lord commanded. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was craftier than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Now you're going to see in the next verse that Eve clearly understands the one clear-cut imperative that she was expected to obey. Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now notice that the Lord put a 
an imperative on Eve that he didn't put in Adam. He said, Eve, I don't want you even looking at the tree. I don't want you touching it. I don't want you looking at it because you being an emotional person, I know what's going to happen when you see this beautiful tree, Eve, so don't even touch it. Stay away from it. Now, I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but you understand my point. So as Eve finish, finishes sharing this with the serpent, I think, that a way to go, girl. Bam! Nail that slimy serpent right between the eyes with truth. Unfortunately, Satan is dedicated to his work, and Eve can't keep her mouth shut. Side note. Now, one would think that at this point in Eve's conversation with the talking snake, she would have called Adam over. Remember, both Adam and Eve are sinless people right now. They have no sin nature. They are really smart. It should have been a no-brainer for Eve to say, Get out of my face, Satan. But oh, no, 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 not Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is where Eve is supposed to say, Adam, Adam, please come over, chop the head off this slimy serpent. But oh, no, 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 not Eve. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. The fruit was pleasing to her eye. Eve, I'm living in a sin-cursed world simply because the fruit was pleasing to your eyes. Believers today stumble spiritually because they allow stuff that is pleasing to their eyes to lead them away from being obedient to the Lord's commandments. Many believers have wandered away from the faith because they bought stuff or things that they knew they could not afford or did not need. Back to Eve. So again, while Eve was going through this fleshly discussion with Satan, she doesn't have the spiritual insight to call her husband over. Now Eve also believed, because the serpent had deceived her, that the forbidden fruit was also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now again, one would think that being that Eve was sinless, she would have been wise enough to not disobey the Lord's imperative. Instead, she chooses to go mano a mano against Satan. And then, of course, once Eve screwed up, she used her great bod and her big, brown, flirty Persian eyes to lead her husband astray by luring him into eating the fruit. I'm just kidding, ladies. Adam knew exactly what to do once he found out that Eve had disobeyed the Lord's command. And that would have been to toss Eve out of the garden and ask the Lord for a better woman. Again, I'm just kidding, ladies. Now, I do believe that Adam absolutely had the opportunity to not do as his wife did, but sadly, he chose and said to listen to his woman, and we all know the rest of the story. Genesis 3.17, Then God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles that will grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. One stinking tree, Adam. You just had to keep you and your woman away from eating the fruit of one stinking tree, and I get to spend my eternity living in a perfect, sinless paradise, chasing my hot, naked wife around all day long. Adam, who God made the leader in that Adam and Eve relationship, should have said no when Eve brought that bad, bad fruit back to the house. I'm sure that if Adam had obeyed the Lord's imperative to not eat fruit from that one stinking tree, that the good Lord would have given Adam a newer, better version of a woman who was not so emotional. I don't know. Just kidding. Just kidding. When I get to heaven, Adam and I are going to have a long, 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 long talk. Now, brethren, I say all this in jest. But again, 
Disobeying God's imperatives has consequences. And I'm sure Adam never thought that for the next 5,000 years, human beings were going to be cursed because he listened to that woman that God gave him. Now, I've been blessed these past 30 years to be married to a very godly Christian woman who has given me a taste of what it would have been like to be living in the Garden of Eden with someone who truly loved the Lord. Another side note, I'm sure that Adam never thought about the future sin consequences that was going to happen to all those people who came after him. Again, there's always consequences for disobeying God's imperatives. Now, there were lots and lots of Old Testament imperatives for God's people. And some, like I said before, most of them are obsolete. We don't have them in the church age. But there's still some clear application for those imperatives that we can read and get out of the scriptures. Let me just share one more Old Testament example of a clear-cut imperative that God's people should have obeyed. Now, the Lord shared these next verses with his people before they were to enter the promised land. Remember, keep in mind that there's only two adults, Joshua and Caleb, out of those millions of adults who came out of Egypt who were actually going into the promised land. All the rest of them adults, the Lord wiped out. He killed them. They died of sickness, died, whatever it was, because of their disobedience to his imperatives. They're grumbling and they're whining. They died. Okay, So that's something to really think about. In the verses just before these, the Lord had given his people a list of commandments, i.e. imperatives, that he wanted them to obey once they moved into the promised land. So what God is sharing in these next verses is a little spiritual pep talk for his people. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commandments, his decrees, and his laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you draw away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this very day that you most certainly will be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing over from the Jordan. Choose life so that you may live. Now, just as with Adam and Eve, this seems like really easy stuff to understand and then obey. Uh, so, Lord, let me see if I understand this. You're telling us that if we simply choose to do as you command, our lives will be wonderful forevermore. But if we choose to disobey your commands, you will make our lives a living hell. Duh. Pretty, sim pretty simple, doesn't it? Personally, I thought the pretty simple choice that Adam and Eve had was a lot easier to obey, and yet we all know what happened there. Now, the New Testament church epistles are loaded with imperatives, i.e. commands or directives, that the Lord has given to his church people. Again, don't forget that imperatives are commandments from the Lord that he expects believers to obey. Again, when we read Bible verses that tell God's children to do something or to not do something, whatever words follow after the do's and the do nots in a Bible verse are commandments from the Lord. Here are some simple examples of what I mean. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. These verses are imperatives, commandments from the Lord. Now, New Testament imperatives are not limited only to those Bible verses with the words do or do not in them. Any Bible verse that clearly implies that the Lord wants us to do or not do something are imperatives. Let me give you an example. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. 
Please notice that the imperative, be diligent, in this verse, doesn't have the do or do not words next to it, and yet it's clearly implied that the Lord expects believers to be diligently working hard at learning his written word. By the way, the English word diligent in the Greek actually means to work eagerly, to make a very hard effort. God is telling his people that this is the attitude, be diligent, that they should have as they study, read, and learn God's word. Now, as I read these next verses, try to count the number of imperatives. Romans 12, verse 9, it starts, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Woo! If you were counting, there would have been over 20 imperatives. Now, obviously, you will have to understand the context of a Bible verse before you decide if the Lord is issuing an imperative or not. And you will also have to use spiritual discernment to determine if the Bible verse that you are reading is still for the church age. Unfortunately, a lot of believers in the church age are promoting or pushing biblical stuff, well, what they call biblical stuff, that's no longer for the church age, or worse yet, promoting pious-sounding religious teachings that are not found in the Bible. Now, I'm sharing this because I want believers to understand that when they ignore doing God's imperatives for the church age, they are in sin. Yeshua Christ said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that means no matter how much you say you love Christ, if you're not doing what he taught us to do, you're in sin. You don't really love the Lord. Brethren, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand the point that I'm trying to get across in this podcast. The book of James tells us that those believers who know the right thing to do and choose not to obey those right things that they need to do are in sin. It must really break God's heart to look down and see so few of his children excited or serious about learning and obeying his written word. And I promise you, brethren, unless you're a brand new believer, there are going to be some very bad eternal consequences for those believers who either choose to ignore learning God's imperatives for the church age, or worse yet, for those believers who know God's imperatives but choose not to obey them. I truly believe that the judgment seat of Christ There are going to be a lot of dedicated church-going believers who the Lord's going to deem unfaithful because they chose to not obey his commandments. I believe that a lot of God's people are going to be shocked when they find out just how important it was to the Lord that they learned and then obeyed all those commandments and teachings that God gave his people for the church age. For reasons that defy logic and common sense, it seems that a lot of believers in the end-time church age have chosen to have this lackadaisical attitude about doing as the Lord commands. And especially so if being obedient to God's commandments requires them to move out of their spiritual comfort zone. Brethren, Yeshua Christ asks his followers this simple question, Why do you bother calling me Lord if you're not going to do as I command? Brethren, we get this one lifetime to practice and work at and strive to serve the God who suffered and died to save our sorry butts from hell. One would think that the image of Yeshua Christ hanging on those spikes it was as he was paying for our sins would be all the motivation that any child of God would need to do as our Heavenly Father commands us. In closing, here's a side note. Most times our Heavenly Father commands us to do this 
or not do this because it's for our own good. Yes, there are times when the Lord commands his people to do stuff this way or that way simply because he's God and he can't choose to do that. But again, most times the Lord gives us imperatives, again, commandments, because he is trying to protect us from stuff that he knows is bad for us. John 15, 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Our Heavenly Father knows that if we simply choose to do those things that please him, which are good things, and not do the things that please our flesh, which are bad things, we will indeed have joy upon joy as we keep ourselves from those things that bring us pain and sorrow. Your true friend in Christ, Brother Bob. And remember, the only way to separate biblical truth from biblical lies is to know your scriptures.